Wow, good morning, everybody. How many are feeling hungry for a monster, humongo, supersized funnel cake? You're finding it quite difficult to focus right now, I sense. Hey, in your bulletin, it, uh, it mentions that we have Searchlight Theatre Company coming out, performing on the 13th of October. Uh, Chariots, a full-length play which is based on the Eric Little story, Chariots of Fire. Uh, you may have seen the movie. It's a tremendous play. And uh, we are going to be recruiting eight people from Timberline. They've roped me in as well. I'm going to be in this thing. So if, if for no other reason than to see me make a fool of myself, please come along, although that opportunity is available on a weekly basis. Um, but it's going to be exciting. If you'd like to audition, the auditions are happening this week. Go to a table in the mall out there and, uh, and sign up. And tickets are on sale, and there's an early bird special starting this weekend. So I know it's in October, uh, but there's on sale online if you would like to come along to that performance. Well, we're continuing our off-road series, and I've got to say that the whole idea of going off-road, I'm not quite as enthusiastic about it this weekend uh, because this week we had a little experience at our house. Uh, we had a rattlesnake um, show up without being invited, which was rude. <laughs> and you'll understand, ladies and gentlemen, that now being a seasoned Colorado outdoors man, that I took care of this without any alarm or panic. <laughs> Do you know, I feel so supported by you people. <laughs> anyway, SOS is our message. We're thinking about going off-road. Moses, like Harrison Ford in the, uh, in the movie, is, is a fugitive. He's on the run. Forty years have passed since last the episode we looked at last week. He's, he's living uh, out of Egypt in Midian. And back in Egypt, the long holocaust is continuing. So let's have a look at this. Exodus chapter 2, SOS, uh, verse 23. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. I've often talked about the confusion that came my way when we uh, first came to America many years ago. Driving on the wrong side of the road was a difficult experience. And not only that, but even some of the vocabulary. What you call the sidewalk, the sidewalk in, in Europe, we call that the pavement. And, and to you, the pavement is the road. And this is very, very, there needs to be an international language for this stuff. Because I went to park somewhere, and the guy said, you need to park on the pavement. <laughs> How many know that didn't go well, officer? <laughs> and not only that, it was like, does anyone remember those days when people didn't have cell phones, and you had to use a phone, like in an airport? Does anyone remember those prehistoric days? And it was kind of weird for me. I didn't quite know how to do that. And so I, I tried to make a phone call from an airport, spent 20 minutes, and then realized I was, I was dialing the person's zip code. <laughs> I know, it's a gift. <laughs> and then if I'd have had an emergency, that would have been awkward, because in England it's 999, 
and here it's 911, and so I, would, I wouldn't have even been able to do that. But prayer is often a 911 SOS call. It was that way for these oppressed Hebrews, and it often is that way today. Just about everybody makes a 911 call to God occasionally, even if they're not people of faith. The college student who's working the checkout, who's praying that she's not pregnant, the Broncos fan who's sitting watching the game, praying that they're going to make the playoffs. The patient in the dentist's waiting room who's praying that it won't hurt. The cancer sufferer who is praying that the chemotherapy will work. Karl Barth said that prayer is a necessity as breathing is necessary to life. Just about everybody prays occasionally. Even atheists occasionally backslide and resort to prayer. And our prayers might not always be terribly substantial. They might be the equivalent of wishing upon a star or sending a note to the tooth fairy, but just about everybody prays. Despite that, prayer can be difficult. If a preacher wants to make an entire group of people feel collectively guilty instantly, all I have to do is say, and how is your prayer life? Some of you just flinched, even as I said that. Let me ask you, I mean, how many of us here today occasionally struggle when it comes to prayer? Just slip up your hand if you occasionally struggle. There's a few of you. <laughs> how many of you occasionally lie when you're asked awkward questions on Sundays? <laughs> hmm, more of those. You see, it can be difficult, but as these stranded Hebrews cry out to God, I think that there are some very helpful lessons that we can learn about prayer. So let's dive in if you're following along in the bulletin. Take a look. First of all, there are seasons, we learn from this, that there are seasons when we feel abandoned. There are seasons when we feel abandoned. Verse 3, during that long period, the king of Egypt died. The king of Egypt died. The king of Egypt was most likely Ramesses II. He was the richest pharaoh, and he was the longest serving. He reigned for 67 years, and by the time we get to this moment, Moses is 80. 80. Think about that. A 40-year holocaust. But that's not the big picture, because the big picture is that oppression and slavery had been going on in Egypt for the Hebrews for no less than 400 years. More about that later. You see, the impression we can get is that you just pray, and it gets fixed. And if it doesn't get fixed... There's something wrong with your prayer. Last weekend, we saw that God intervenes, and God doesn't always intervene. Every time you look at a crucifix, you're reminded of the truth that God intervenes and God does not intervene, because he intervenes in sending us Jesus as a savior. He did not intervene when Jesus himself in Gethsemane said, is there any way this cup can pass from me? A crucifix says he intervenes, he does not. And that can be confusing. The psalmist in Psalm 10 and verse 1 says, Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? But I think it's important that we know that suffering and times of silence and apparent non-intervention don't cancel out the viability of faith at all. 
these Hebrews suffered and they cried out to God. Sometimes people look at the most recent, best known Holocaust. There have been others, but the Holocaust of 1938, the night of the broken glass, when Hitler's thugs ran around the city of Berlin, smashing the windows of Jewish traders, and a, a seven-year systematic uh, period of oppression and death followed. The final solution, six million Jews perished. And often people talk about that, and they say, how can you believe in a loving God when you look at that? But I'm intrigued by the fact that often it's the people who talk about it rather than have walked through it that come to that conclusion. A rabbi uh, by the name of Reeve Robert Branner decided to survey hundreds and hundreds of Holocaust survivors. Three and a half million people survived the Holocaust, survived the camps. And he asked them, what impact did being in that terrible place of pain have on faith? 50% of them said it made no impact whatsoever. Their faith was not eroded or changed. 11% said that they abandoned trusting God, not necessarily denying his existence, just that they were angry with him because of the terrible things they'd seen. But here's the intriguing thing. 5% who responded, 5% said they went into the camps as atheists and they came out with faith in God. Just extrapolate that into Fort Collins, 150,000 people. Can you imagine if 5% of the population of this city turned to Christ in a seven-year period? That would be 7,500 people. Do you know what we'd call that? We'd call that revival. Don't let anyone tell you that horror and suffering cancels out God. On the contrary, if I may overstate it, you'll understand. The stats say that there was something of a revival of faith for some. And maybe... Maybe you're struggling right now and suffering is all around you. And my prayer for you, not a slogan, not a cliche, is that God's grace will be yours. But that just somehow you'll know today that it is reasonable to trust him in suffering. Secondly, prayer includes words, groans, thoughts, and questions. Prayer includes words, groans, thoughts, and questions. Verse 23 the Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. A few years ago, I had, to, I had to catch a plane to Oregon, and there was quite a panic on board the plane before we took off because one, I watched this incredible scene unfold. A passenger tried to board the plane with his pet goldfish in a plastic bag. And I, I'm, I'm sitting there watching this, and the flight attendant said, Sir, I'm, I'm very sorry. Uh, but you can't bring the fish on board the plane. And he said, I can, because I am carrying this fish to provide me with emotional support <laughs> for flying. I'm sitting there thinking, this is Monty Python. This is beautiful. <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure how the emotional support would come from the fish. And they said, sir, I'm very sorry, but you can't, it's dangerous. And I, now I'm thinking, dangerous? Is it like an attack goldfish? <laughs> like jaws disguised in orange? 
Don't panic, everybody. We've got a fish on the loose. <laughs> so they pulled out the Federal Aviation Authority manual, and they discovered, this is true. I'm not making this up. I can see it in your eyes. You think I am. I'm not making this up. They discovered that if you have need of it, you can take on board a flight a cat, a dog, a fish, a monkey, a pig, or a small horse. I mean, how cool is that? Excuse me a second, I just move your bag. I need to put my pig in the overhead compartment. Kind of fit, wouldn't it? Would the horse have to wear a seatbelt? What about the bathroom arrangements? I mean, it's ridiculous. For the most part, someone has created legislation which, for the most part, does not apply to any, any application. And I think sometimes people talk and write about prayer like that. We talk about prayer, but it doesn't really connect from Monday mornings. We get, and we complicate it. We, we get this idea that we've got to pray a certain way, like we've got to kneel down. Can I just confess to you, I never kneel down to pray these days, because if I do, I just fall asleep. I start off with good intentions, then I'm face down in the rug. It just doesn't work. Or, or I've got to pray for a certain length of time. That's another one. It's good to spend time in prayer, but Jesus warned against measuring the quality of our praying. Mark chapter 12, verse 40. He said, the teachers of the law for a show make lengthy prayers. You see, prayer at its heart can be very, very simple. Anyone remember the prayer of Jabez thing that came out a few years? Remember the prayer of Jabez book? Raise your hand if you remember that. It's a book, and there was a follow-up book, and there were T-shirts and mugs and stuff. And I've, de I've decided to develop the prayer of Jeffrey. No merchandise is available yet, but we're working on it. The prayer of, you want to hear the prayer of Jeffrey? Get, get ready to write this down. This is going to change your life. There's three parts to the prayer of Jeffrey. Here's part one. You ready? Part one, prayer of Jeffrey. Help! It's <laughs> part one. Write that down. Change your life. Here's part two. Help! <laughs> Don't forget part three. Amen. <laughs> it's powerful. Prayer of Jabez, prayer of Jeffrey. Here's the prayer of the Hebrews. Here's the prayer of the Hebrews. Oh. Amen. <laughs> they groaned. They cried. Only two words are expressed in the New International Version. In the Hebrew, there are four. Their prayer was a groan. It was a cry. The word cry means to wail, to call out for help. Prayer can be a groan. Romans chapter 8 and verse 26 says, The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Rob Warner says there are times when the simple cry of Father sums up all that needs to be said in prayer. Our groaning can be prayer. Our thoughts can be prayer. My, are you like me? My mind, the moment I woke up this morning, my mind switched straight into thinking. Even before I'd reached my tambourine, my brain was working. 
I think sometimes prayer can be our thinking. We don't begin the thought with dear Lord Jesus and end it with amen. But our cogitation, our agitation, our reflection, our thinking can be praying. What about questions? Have you ever thought about your prayer life including questions? Here's a little project for you this week. Ask God a different question every day. I'm not suggesting that he's going to respond to you with a booming voice, but present the question. See what happens. That's how we ask for wisdom, ask him questions. But prayer, sometimes we overcomplicate it. Let me ask this question of you. Is there a situation in your life that you've groaned about, but you've quit groaning to God now because you've asked for it so much? You've lost heart and hope. and It's time to get it back. These crosses here with post-it notes, these are groans, recovered groans from previous services this weekend. And at the end of this service, there'll be an opportunity for us to write a word down or a request down. Nothing weird about it, but just bring it out here and put it on the cross as a way of saying, I'm asking again, Lord. Prayer. Sometimes we overcomplicate it. Thirdly, Thirdly, self-centeredness is permitted, but don't forget your world. When it comes to prayer, self-centeredness is permitted, but don't forget your world. Their cry for help, verse 23, because of their slavery went up to God. Notice, everybody, it doesn't say they prayed because they really wanted to know God, they wanted to obey his will, they wanted to repent. Why did they cry? Because they're enslaved. Their motive was personal. Me. I don't like this. Get me out of this. I meet Christians who are still nervous about bringing requests about themselves to God. They'll pray for everybody else. They just don't feel comfortable about asking for themselves. God wants you to. I love being out with my grandsons because they don't mind asking. Stan, I was out with Stanley a few weeks ago. He said, Grand, Granddad, I think you need to buy me that Snickers bar. If I give them a candy bar, Stanley doesn't say, Granddad, I am not worthy. I haven't cleaned my room since birth. I cannot accept this gift. Isn't it interesting that Jesus said, not that we should be childish, but that we should be childlike, and then narrowed the definition of that by saying that the aspect of childlikeness that we need to embrace is our ability to receive the kingdom of heaven. The ability to receive like a child, to ask for ourselves, this is very important. But don't forget your world. Don't forget your world as well. Otherwise, we become just totally self-focused and self-centered. In southeast Colorado this morning, there are dust storms. And there is a desperate need for rain. At the end of our service, we're going to be praying. I mentioned last weekend Randy Morgan, dear friend who's in Moore, Oklahoma, that community that has experienced this horrendous, devastating tornado. Randy, are you there? Uh, I am. Really and good to... Sorry? I'm, I'm sorry. I was under the impression I was going to be talking to Derry Northrop. Uh, I'm sorry, he's not available, but there's a better-looking version available right now. That's me. So, um, greetings to you from Timberline, Randy. And uh, we 
have been following, obviously, in the news, this, um, the initial horrendous story of the, of the tornado, the loss of life, the devastation. But, but catch us up with what's been happening since, if you will. Thank you, Jeff. You have three weeks tomorrow, and uh, we're still kind of very much in the cleanup stage. There's still just wreckage and debris everywhere, and we have volunteer teams. In fact, we're staging out of our building here, the volunteer teams going out into more, and we've had more than 30,000 people from all across the nation come through here the last few days and register in our building, and that's all great, but obviously our hearts are turned toward the families that are afraid and confused and hungry and starving for affection and attention. Randy, I understand um, Convoy of Hope have been there. Timberline uh, expresses a lot of giving through Convoy, and I think they've made quite a difference too. I've seen six or seven tractor trailers here in the neighborhood, and what's great about Convoy, Jeff, is that we can kind of divert resources there that we can't keep here in our building, and they're going to be here long term. So when people begin moving back into their homes, they need cooking utensils and clothes and things like that, uh, then Convoy of Hope becomes a resource for us for extending the hands and feet of Jesus into our neighborhoods and community. Randy, it's 10.44 uh, uh, Rocky Mountain time. Uh, it's an hour ahead for you. Does that mean that the, the folks there from Covenant Life Assembly, I think you've broken off your service so that you could talk to us, am I right? I have, yes. We're going to have lunch together in just a few moments. We've got some ministries in our parking lot cooking meals, so we're going to just gather for a meal here in a few moments. But I know, Jeff, you were talking about praying. Can I ask you, please, as your folks pray at the end of the day, um, not just for hurting people and the obvious problems that we have, but we just believe that God has opened up some amazing kingdom opportunities here. So pray for boldness for our people and for just opportunities to share Jesus in a kind of a ruthlessly tangible way. We're just excited about the chance to really be the hands of Jesus. Randy, I know that our friends from Covenant Life are listening in right now, and so we want to send you our love and our greeting and our prayers. Um, I hope you can hear this. God bless you, man. Thank you, buddy. See you. Thank you, Timberline family. We will be praying for our friends um, at the end of our service. Let's move forward. Fourthly, we call on the God of covenantal promise. We call on the God of covenantal promise. Verse 24, God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. There's something very substantial here that I want us just to take a few moments on, and that is that throughout Scripture, covenant is a consistent theme. And as we see these words, the covenant with Abraham, which was renewed with Isaac and then was renewed with Jacob, I want to take you for a moment or two to Genesis 15, which is where that covenant was established. Look at this. It's a remarkable picture. Some words from that chapter. The Lord said to Abraham, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abraham brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep, <clears throat> and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, 
Know for certain that for 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there, but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. Time out, everybody. This is pro prophesying exactly what Moses and the Hebrews were in, in Egypt, way, way before it happened. And then it says, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, or with Abraham. In those days, if I wanted to make a, a commitment, a covenant, a partnership with you, I would go through this bizarre ceremony of cutting these animals in half, and then I would stand in the middle between those those animals and basically what I was saying is this if I don't keep my promise to you may I be torn in two just like these it's a graphic amazing picture but the smoking pot the the this uh, picture here of the fire pot and the blazing torch this represents the presence of God God himself was saying if I'm not faithful to you May I be torn in pieces. That's the basis of our praying, the fact that we have a covenant-keeping God who remembers his covenant. That word's a bit misleading. The Hebrew word doesn't just mean that he remembered in the sense that it had slipped his mind. Oh, yes, I made a covenant with those people. Rather, it is he is choosing to apply the covenant and now rescue them. God is a faithful God. And that leads us to our last point. And that is that whatever happens, we are heard, seen, and cared for. Verse 25, so God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. And this idea of God looking at them, it, it, it's kind of, it, it, bring, it reminds me of that Bette Midler song. Does anyone remember the Bette Midler song, From a Distance? Anyone remember that? Let me just ask you, how many of you would, I'm thinking about just performing a couple of verses for you, uh, a cappello. So let's just take a vote. How many would like that to happen? Sadly, a vocal minority, so it's not going to happen. <laughs> From a distance, God is watching us. It's half true. It's a great song. I love it, but it's half true. You see, because God is out there watching but he is also right here. He is our Father who is in heaven. A better translation would be our Father who is in the heavens, plural. And the first heaven, theologically, is not out there. It's the air that surrounds your body this morning. Do you know what that means? It means that he is high and lifted up. He is the Holy One and his glory fills the earth because he's the omnipresent one. You say, why does it matter? Well, if we don't get this, then prayer is like lobbing snowballs at the moon. <laughs> Trying to beam a message to the God who's slightly to the left of Jupiter. But that is not the way that it is. He is the God who is here among us. And then he's the God who watches and cares. Again, the NIV translation is not great. It says that God was concerned about the Israelites or the Hebrews. It's a little bit like a British chap, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I say. I just rather just noticed that the Hebrews are in trouble. 
possibly I should do something about it to maybe, you know, pop over there and jolly well rescue them because I'm just a bit concerned. Sort of a cosmic Prince Charles. <laughs> Don't tell on me, I could be executed for that. <laughs> but the word in the Hebrew means to care, to know, to see, to be moved. Why is it that Peter in 1 Peter 5, 7 says that we should cast our care on him? Question, answer. Because he cares for us. I wonder if you have a vision of a God who cares about you. I was moved by this quote this week from Soren Kierkegaard. When the thought of you wakes in our hearts, let us not wake like a frightened bird that flies around in dismay, but like a child waking from its sleep with a heavenly smile. We are cared for. That's why we pray. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you today because you care about us. You know, you see, you remember. You're the God of covenant. And as we've gathered here today, Lord, we realize that some of us have lost our groan. <coughs> We have lost the capacity to ask you about certain things because we did it for so long that we didn't want to face disappointment anymore and we've stopped asking you about that particular area. We need to get our groan back. We need to ask you once again to help in that specific area. Let's just keep our heads bowed and if that's true for you, you know immediately as I'm talking that there's an area in your life and you've lost your groan. You've lost the ability to ask God about that. Can I ask, as I'm just looking around, just slip up your hand for a moment as a way of conceding that, but not just responding in this moment, but saying, I'm going to ask him again. I'm going to start asking again. Thanks for doing that. You can put your hands down. Secondly, before we move forward, I wonder if there are people here today who need to become Christians. It's time for you to come, maybe because for no other reason, you don't know the way out of stuff right now. The Hebrews cried out because of their slavery. And you might think you're being selfish, but God will, God will hear you. And you're saying, I, I've tried to run my life myself and it's not working. And I need to say to God, help, not just as a 911 call. But I want, to invite, I want to invite God not only to rescue me, but to lead me, to take charge of my life. I want to hand myself over to him. I want to ask him to forgive me for my sins. That's what a Christian is. A Christian is not someone who just does church on Sunday and thinks they're better. A Christian is someone who realizes that they need to live as they were created, to know God, to follow Him, to love Him. And I want to give an opportunity before we move forward. If you are not a Christian and you would like to become one, I'm going to ask you right now to do something. This is a very critical, important moment. I'm going to ask you right where you are, as our heads are bowed, to just slip up your hand, please. It's a way of saying, I want to make that choice. 
And thank you so much. It's so wonderful to see hands being raised. You can lower your hand. Right where you are seated, just tell God in your own words, in your heart, that you want him. You hand over your life to him. Ask him to cleanse you, forgive you. Ask him to come in. Do that. If you do that, you will be heard, whatever you feel or don't feel. Know as well, please, this is so important. We're in, we're in such a hurry. Our prayer team will be here at the end, and they are really waiting to take a moment to pray with you, to give you some resources that will help you. Please take the opportunity to do that. This matters more than lunch. So take some moments. We pray for all of those who respond today. For those who are giving their lives to you, reveal yourself to them, we pray. And help us now, Lord, as we take these moments to more specifically respond in Jesus' name. Everyone said? We can have a bit of holy chaos in the house right now. At the end of the, uh, at the, end of the rows, there are some post-it notes, and there are pens around, and I want you to grab those post-it notes. You might want to take one. You might want to just pass it on to somebody else and pass it down the row. But you might want to write one word down or someone's first name or the, a word that describes the situation. In a, in a moment, we're going to stand if we're able, and we're going to sing a song that talks about our need for Jesus. And what I'm going to ask that we do is you can scribble your note, and uh, then don't wait to be asked. Just come out here. And... Um, and write, bring your note and, and put it on the cross. I'm going to do exactly the same thing. And uh, as we sing, express our need for him, we are specifying, asking him for help in a particular area. So let's do it. Let's stand if we're able, please. Let's stand together and let's sing and uh, come out here with those requests and bring them to the cross. So now, Lord, we come and realize that you know every request both on pieces of paper and written on our hearts we bring every one to you help us Lord to keep asking to look to see intervention you know our hearts we pray for our friends in Oklahoma and as Randy has especially asked that we pray for open doors in a situation of devastation that once again that you will bring good for the kingdom of God out of that which has been so tragic. Strength and bless, especially your people, to be your people in that community. Thank you for the outpouring of love that has come, not only from the church, but across America. We pray as well for our friends today in southeast Colorado. Send rain, Lord. Send rain. Please send rain that these dust storms will dissipate. Grant hope and strength. Intervene, we pray. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. This is our affirmation. This is our statement of faith, Lord. Go with us this week, mighty God. In Jesus' name. Everyone said? 
Hey, if you have a problem with snakes, call Crocodile Lucas. <laughs> I can take care of it. God bless you. Have a great weekend. Prayer team are here. We'd love to pray with you.